Oshkin goes through it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League, Bundesliga, and Champions League. We've got a host of topics for you today, but with me as always, a man who is as deserving of a podcast award as Robert Lewandowski is of the FIFA Best Award. It's Billy. Ah, I made my day that, dude. Thank you very much. You have one as well. Go on. We'll do a joint Ballon d'Or like they should have done with uh, Lewandowski and Messi. Oh, don't even get me started. That should no, it shouldn't be anywhere near joint. Like eh. the only joint thing that should have happened, if at all, is that they at least give one to Lewandowski for 2020. But no, France football suck Messi's dick. So I regret opening that can of worms. A little bit. <laughs> but that's right. This week we'll be taking a look at Erling Haaland's post-match comments after the game against Freiburg, the FIFA best awards and who won what and should it be given more weight than the Ballon d'Or now? Sticking with the Bundesliga, we'll have a look at Borussia Mönchengladbach and two players potentially on the way out to rivals Borussia Dortmund. Comings in at Bayern, potential free transfers and potential outgoings there. And then moving to the Premier League, where we're going to look at Rafa Benitez getting the sack and Everton's downfall this season. And then we'll also look at the inevitable, which happened when Philip Coutinho made his debut for Aston Villa against Manchester United. Harlan's volley is beautiful beyond compare. Well, should we start with Haaland and his post-match interview? Because he went out on a little bit of a, a little bit of a limb, should we say. As the top striker at his club goes to an interview and says, mm, do you know what? The club are pressuring me to make a decision. I don't want to do that. I just want to play football. But, you know, the club are pressuring me, so I guess I should probably get a decision going soon. Yeah, you don't do that if you don't want to get the hell out of Dodge, as they say in the U.S. It's a weird one. And I know Mikhail Zork has played it down and, and, and sort of tried to brush it under the carpet. But in all honesty, Haaland only has himself to blame for the media circus around his potential destination because he employs professional shite bag Muno Raiola as his agent. I've been very vocal about my utter distaste for this man. But, you, you know, he gives interviews to people, uh, people like Tutor Sport and, and things like that in, in Italy. And when he's talking about destinations, he's talking on the behalf of his client. You know, he's done something similar with uh, with Matisse de Ligt. you know, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens come the summer. We'll see what happens. Constantly pipes up about Pogba. And he does it with Haaland as well. You know, he was talking about, oh, there's only a few teams that can afford Erling Haaland. You know, your Real Madrid, your, your Barca's, your Man City's, your Man United's. And it's just like, you don't need that as a, as a kid of, what is he, 21, 20, 21? You don't need 21, that. yeah. No, you really don't. I mean, yes, he implies the professional shite bag, as you say, but you also have to say you also have to say that, you know, the media has put a massive strain because, you know, as a 21 year old, think about the amount of scrutiny, like literally every single move he makes 
the media are like, oh, where is he going to go? Where is he going to go? Where is he going to go? He scored three goals. Does that mean he's going to go to this or the hit or there or this or that? That must drive you physically insane as a 21-year-old. As a 21-year-old, I, I mean, me as a 24-year-old right now, if I had that much media scrutiny, I'd just tell the media at some point, I just want to tell the media to like literally do one and, and leave me alone. But, you know, how, how you can't do that as a professional, obviously. How do you deal with that situation without it getting out of hand? And then you trust your agent, which... Where we, which is where we come to the point, maybe he does need a change of representation. Because at that point, when you can only trust your agent, your agent is Mino Rayo, he's just going to shoot his mouth off. It's a lose lose situation at the end of the day because Dortmund are under pressure because Haaland seems unhappy. Um, but Haaland also has to realize that he doesn't have a massive market of teams to really choose from. It's not like half of Europe is saying, yeah, we're going to have him, we can afford him. Because any team in Europe wants him, but there are realistically only two teams that probably could afford him. And that's going to be Bayern and Real. Because if we're being honest, well, I say afford him. Teams who can afford him and he would fit into their playing style. Because if we're being honest, PSG already overrun at the front. They've got too many big names. Barca, come on, how, how, how can they possibly afford him? How? There's no way. I mean, we know they did a little bit of voodoo magic to get, you know, Ferran Torres, but Haaland's a whole different scenario. You got the, you got the money-grabbing agent who they have to pay off anyway. And Man City, Pep Guardiola has literally chased away every big-name striker with the exception of Lewandowski he's ever worked with. Pep Guardiola's playing style does not need a big bull of a striker up front who scores goals like no other. Pep Guardiola's style is just, it's so fluid. You don't need a fixed striker up there. And, you know, if at that point, Manchester United probably open, but, you know, and you're going to hate me for this, Billy, but how much of a chance does... Haaland have of winning the Premier League right now in the next three years if he goes to United? Oh, no, I, I don't think that's, that's, that's not an issue. I don't think that... When he was at Mulder, that was the, the biggest chance United had because of the Solskjaer connection. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't happen then because of the outrageous demands of his agent and the fact they wanted this release clause that Dortmund have been... <sighs> reluctant to use the word hoodwinked into including, but they are going to be massively, you know, bent over by any team that comes in and goes, okay, there's his release clause. It's like, what is it? 85 million euros or something? 80 million euros? 75 million euros. There we go. When he is easily, you know, you talk about how much Real Madrid bid for Mbappe. He's arguably worth more than that. Oh, yeah. In relative terms, you know, no one's worth 200 million quid, but... If we're talking, you know, football terms, then they're going to be stiffed from from yeah. like from arguably about 180 million euros. Exactly, and I mean, with the release clause being 75 million, Haaland is not going to just be costing you 75 million. You got astronomical agents' fees, as well as 
a a wage that where he wants to probably compete with Neymar for wage for his wage bill. And Neymar's on 36 mil, if I remember correctly. You know, if no team Bayern right now, in that sense, then can't afford Haaland because they're never going to completely ex- let their let their wage structure be turned over by paying Haaland 36 mil because ha- because Bayern are basically the only team in Europe right now who have any sense of financial literacy any all the other clubs either have a massive donor who backs them or are in financial ruin no club i i may i fully maintain that no club in europe has any sense of financial literacy other than bayern and that's exactly why they're never going to turn their wage structure over because right now they've got a bunch of good players it makes more sense for them to keep the players they have on the also outrageous sums they have because Lewandowski's on 23 mil but he's their top played top paid player so they're never going to turn it over that's why, realistically, at the end of the day, Real Madrid are probably the only ones who are going to get it, go in for him. And if you believe... Because they have no idea what it means to have financial stability. Well, yeah. But if you believe, you know, all the, all the talk, you know, they're going to get Mbappe on a free. And okay, Erling but... Haaland. But that will completely... I mean, th- there's very little wage structure at Real anyway. <laughs> But that I was about to say, do they even know what wage structure means? That will completely upend any wage structure that they can think of having. Yeah, but that means that also means you have to well, you have to think about it in this sense as well. If even if they get Mbappe on a free, just because they get him on a free doesn't mean he's going to be free. They're going to have to give him a signing bonus upwards of thirty million. Because thing I always come back to this one because the media has made a lot of reports that Antonio Rudiger apparently wants 20 million signing bonus because he's awful. So out of contract at the end of the season. And, you know, if Rudiger, given he is probably in the top three center backs in the Premier League right now, if not the best, if he wants 20 million, he's a defender. Think about how much a Kylian Mbappe is going to want as one of the hottest prospects, if not the hottest prospect in football right now, up top. That's going to be insane. So just to, just to bring it back to Dortmund quickly, where, where does it leave them? Because from, from what, what I can see, they've got very little hold of the situation. Because he's, he's come out and he's like, look, I've said nothing for the last six months because out of respect for Dortmund, but they're now pressuring me to make a decision. And that decision is probably, look, you either leave in the summer or you stay, sign a new deal that gets rid of the release clause, play for another year, and we can get 200 million for you. Well, I mean, we, all, we obviously know what Dortmund want. That's a given. Because for Dortmund, it'd be a win-win. One, they'll get double the amount that they could probably now get for Haaland in one year's time. Plus they get another year's worth of his goals, which if we're being honest, those goals are saving Dortmund right now from dropping out of Champions League places in the Bundesliga. And, you know, I can't make any arguments for the Champions League run because that was just diabolical. But, you know, Haaland always gives Dortmund a fighting chance. And just specifically in the Bundesliga right now, if Dortmund want to have any chance, any chance of coming even close to what Bayern 
are or where Bayern are at right now, they need someone like Haaland to produce a similar amount of goals to what Lewandowski does every season. So Dortmund, obviously, they know exactly what they would like to do. But Haaland's, I find Haaland's message so cryptic that it's almost a given that he's gone the, at the end of the season. Yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a situation that Dortmund must have known was coming, even when they signed him, because it's such a highly rated player. I mean, it's, it's January 18th, 2020, which is, you know, today, he made his debut for Dortmund. Exactly, came off the two bench years ago. Yeah. And scored a hat-trick in 23 minutes. A player like that, no respect to Dortmund, doesn't stay at Dortmund very long because of how they've handled things in the past. If they were more firm and more competitive, then they could still have, uh, you know, Mario Goetze wouldn't have gone. Uh, Aubameyang might not have left, but he, that was more him than anything else. Ousmane Dembele, now Erling Haaland, Jaden Sancho, you know, they could, they could have this ridiculous team of players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there we go back to the age-old, uh, the age-old topic where I always say that Dortmund just the club culture needs changing. That you know they don't always uh, say, yeah, you know what, we're just going to sell this in this guy. Uh, it doesn't matter. We can get some big bucks for him and then reinvest it. That culture needs to definitely change. But yeah, at the end of the day, Dortmund's hands are more or less tied because it's down to what Erling Haaland wants to do because they're not going to be sitting there on Erling Haaland saying, okay, we don't have any uh, offers for him. The offers will come. It's just a question of what Erling Haaland now wants to do. And obviously they want to get some security with their plan for for the squad next season. Because if you're missing an Erling Haaland, you have to be working right now already to replace him. You can't start working to replace him when the season ends. Plus, you you know you have to always be aware of the situation. You know how how things change. Some players are all of a sudden injured, or some player all of a sudden is unhappy. If they want to have some sense of security as to what the plan is next season, obviously they're going to ask Haaland to make a decision. But you know, as we've seen that's kind of backfired. And, you know, final thing on this, you know, history would dictate with probably the exception of Lewandowski and it's too early to call on Sancho. Players that leave Dortmund don't do better. You know, yeah. this, this could arguably be the best. I, it, it probably won't be. And I, you know, I, God, I hope it's not because he's only 21, but this could be the, the the patch of his career. This could be the the purple patch. The I was scoring, you know, more than a goal a game for Dortmund, where he'll go to Real Madrid and he he might get twenty goals in fifty games one season, which is still a ridiculous record. But it's not what we've become so used to. I hope it's not that. You know, sorry to put a downer on it, but Abamyang, eh, Usman Dembele, eh, Mario Goetze. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So that um, was fun. Let's uh, let's move <laughs> over to potential incomings at Dortmund then. Yeah. So basically, Zakaria and Ginta. We talked about them last week, and 
Lothar Matthäus kind of uh, talked a little bit about why they could also be potential signing, potentially good signings for a number of teams. But Dortmund, I think, is the is a prime example because right now, if we look at it, taking Zakaria, he's a strong CDM and could definitely balance out the creativity that they have in midfield. So basically, if Dortmund play a a, a single CDM and two uh, center mids ahead of him, then they could have a trio of Zakaria at CDM and then Brandt and Bellingham or Brandt and Dahoud or Bellingham and Dahoud, whichever way you want to pair them. And that would balance out the midfield because right now, the way they've set it up is that Dahoud has to try and take this center defensive midfield role. And you just need someone who's a bit less creative and a bit more, he's just going to smash his way through in that sense. And that's just not Dahoud. He doesn't have that sense of, you know, physicality about his game that you would need from a center defensive midfielder who just, you know, completely smashes apart the park like Casimiro at Real Madrid. Perfect example. He bounces out the creativity that Modric and Kroos have. And, you know, he basically, if he, need, if he needs to pull the plug on a counterattack and take the yellow, he'll do so. That's why I think, you know, Zakaria would definitely help Dortmund. And Ginta already played for Dortmund. He was kind of, you know, pushed out of Dortmund because they went and got Akanji as well at the time in 2017 because Ginta did have his defensive mishaps. But this is now four, almost five years ago. And he's come a long way since being, you know, an exciting 19 to 22-year-old, which is his first stint at Dortmund. And now he's, you know, a seasoned center back who could probably plug the massive holes that Dortmund have in their defense and more often than not replace an aging Matsumas. Because, you know, he's, he's big, he's strong, and he's basically plugged all the defensive mistakes that he's made in his time at Gladbach. He's matured as a, as a center back. I, yeah, I think the signing of Zachary would also give them a, like you say, like a genuine, a genuine, a genuine defensive midfielder. So you haven't got to play eights there like Dahoud or like exactly. Emre Chan, a player that does an awful lot, not very well. Yeah. You know, and for for both of them it would be reun- with it would be reuniting with Marco Rose who was there for two years at Gladbach big big plus point there as well yeah you know and arguably they played their best football in those two years Zachary definitely yeah Bart is injury 100% so that'd be interesting especially like you say because Jude Bellingham is more of a box-to-box. Yeah, he can do the dirty defensive work, but he he does make those runs into the box. And then for some reason, I'm very happy about it, but Julian Brandt is just burst back onto the scene at Dortmund and he's doing really well. Yeah, not as much as in his winger capabilities as he uh, as he kind of was playing for Leverkusen given he was playing more of a center attacking midfield role, but still sometimes on the wings as well, which was also what he was kind of destined for when it was either Dortmund or Bayern when he was trying, when he was going for the move. Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, he just came back to life this season from lack of a better word, really. Well, let's uh, quickly finish with the Bundesliga. If I was to say to you, 
Andres Christensen? I'd say solid, but would he really get into that starting 11 at Bayern ahead of an Upamecano or a Lucas Hernandez, given both are at full strength? I think he'd definitely get an over Hernandez. And this is only because Lucas Hernandez. Really? Yeah, it's because he suffers from the the same similar problem to Emery Chan. He's not an out-and-out centre-half. He's not a left back like his brother. I think you could you could benefit massively from a, an out and out proper centre half that wouldn't cost you eighty million euros. Well, yeah. That that being said, and you know there, it it isn't it isn't a secret that Nicolas Zulu wants out. He's already you know his mind's already halfway out of out of Munich. There's not really any two 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 minds about it really so it's he's if he's gone you definitely need to replace replace him at center back and you need someone who can fill the role if not uh fill it fill it better than nick dasula but um yeah i'd say christensen i could i could see him maybe if Upamecano is still a little bit wobbly in the sense that he still needs time to find his footing that he makes it in over Upamecano. I would have said Hernandez is probably the, the stronger of the two. Fair play. I, I say you watch them week in, week out. I think only when I watch them, well, I mean, Upamecano's had uh, issues. So I've not watched him a lot this season, but yeah. Yeah, I can see why. I think Barcelona is the other team that Christensen's linked with. I mean, and to be fair, that is the, is the only other problem because Barca might have the pull that, you know, it's an up-and-coming team again. Um, it is still Barcelona. Um, and Christensen is relatively affordable. So it could be something where Barcelona do go like, okay, if we really want to replace Piquet at some point. Christensen might be the guy to do it. Yeah, I think free transfers, I think it all depends on the money being offered. So maybe Bayern would offer more than Barca just because of the financial issues. Yeah, yeah. And um, if we're being honest, Bayern 100% more attractive than Barcelona at this point. Definitely. I think... Especially at the centre-back position because it is all to play for. You've just got a bunch... You've got a bunch of... Very good center backs who are on their way to world class, but you have all of them on about the same level, which means that center back duo has not been set in stone. Yeah, I think Barca are in a lot of trouble considering that those players had to take wage cuts to register new signings, you know. Samuel MTT signed a new contract till 2026 on reduced wages just so they could register Ferran Torres. And he's not even playing. Like, he's barely getting any game time. So, you know, that club is is a mess from the top down. I think that's the most unattractive thing about that. Oh, yeah. Well, finishing in Germany, let's move over to the Premier League. Salah!
do you want to get the painful Coutinho stuff out of the way or do we leave it for last? No, come on. Let's rip the Band-Aid off. Let's. Okay. Let's get it well, done. You did... I called Here's it. the thing, right? You did call it. You did call it last week. It, as sad as it sounds, you did call it last week. The exact scenario as well. I didn't say, I say he wouldn't start. He'd come off the bench and he'd score. And what happened? He didn't start. He came off the bench and he scored. So. Wow. I, and I mean, not for nothing, but you guys were 2 0 up. Cheers for that. I just got on over it. Thank you very much, Lewis. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to. I had to rub a bit of salt in the wounds. But now I'm done. Now I'm done. But do we? I mean, we've seen this so often. You know, the first few matches, the new signing hyped up, also does produce, and then they just kind of fall into a tailspin. I mean, it doesn't even happen just with players, but also managers. Uh, see Florian Kofit at Wolfsburg wins his first four games and is now already in the hot seat again to be losing his job. Um, what do you think of Coutinho? Has he finally found a club where the expectations aren't as high of him and he can finally, you know, kind of just let his, his free playing style kind of come out again? Or do you think mm, it's a bit risky uh, to say, right now that he's already found his footing again, he'll probably go into a tailspin again. I don't think he will, because you think how good he was at Liverpool. Yeah, but... but I don't, I'm, not, remember. I'm not saying he'll reach that, that level, but what I'm saying is I think Barcelona was a very toxic environment for him. The, the culture at Barcelona is people look immediately for someone to blame that isn't Lionel Messi. Well, obviously. But, uh, yeah, for obvious reasons. And you know, it's always somebody's fault at Barcelona. You know, it, it, was, it was Coutinho's fault for not being as good, for not, you know, lighting up La Liga like he did with... You know, it's not, it's not his fault that they spent $143 million on him. Huh. Liverpool must be laughing so hard up at, uh, in their upper management because, I mean, Jesus Christ getting 140 million and then he produces what he did at Bar- at Barca. I mean, Jesus. You know, and he said in his post-match, you know, I've missed these games. I've missed the Premier League. And he was smiling in his post-match. And, you know, talking to some Liverpool fans, our, our friend Greg included, like, they're just gassed that he's back. It's an environment where he feels wanted and an environment where he feels already loved. He's played 14 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Or oh, sorry, he it's scored. Hard, it, he scored after forty minutes. He's had twenty-two minutes on the pitch, and he already feels loved and welcomed by by Villa, and that's massive. I think for a player like Coutinho to have that appreciation that yeah, you're really wanted here. Whereas at Barcelona, it was more like oh come on, can we just get rid of him. Hence why he was loaned to Bayern. Yeah, and I mean even even there, it didn't help because. At the time, Bayern were looking for that that player, that it player, to basically replace their failed signing of Leroy Sané at that point. You know, he was brought in as a last-ditch effort to kind of make up for the fact that they didn't get Sané. And then, you know, he's given the number 10 shirt. And even though Bayern were like, yeah, you know, we'll give him time and he's not going to – he doesn't have to produce right away, it was like, well, the pressure's still there. You know, it, it's, it's not going to get any better. 
which, you know, is why he ends up having, you know, he has, he does show flashes during that 2019, 2020 season of what he could do. But if we're being honest, he never really cemented himself as a first team player throughout that season. But, you know, Liverpool fans won't thank me for this. But this was, when he joined Liverpool, it was a Liverpool team that weren't in a position to challenge for the Premier League. Yeah. The expectation was top, was, was European football. Basically, that, that was the expectation. Yeah. And when he joined Barcelona, they'd just come off the back of MSN and winning the Champions League. And I think, was it a couple years or a year after they'd, they'd won all six? Well, no, they Barca won the treble in, in, in 2015. But yeah, I mean, put it this way. We're still talking about a Barca who, as you said, were coming off the back of MSN. Basically, it was the Neymar show that had to be replaced. And they were like, oh yeah, Coutinho will do that. Yeah, so it wasn't, you know, it's not, again, it's not his fault, but the expectation on those shoulders was, was ridiculous. And I don't think he oh, was yeah. ever going to, live up to it exactly oh 100 there was not a chance in hell because i mean msn is probably one of the best trios to ever grace football and then coutinho has to replace one of that trio that that is ridiculous it's not going to happen yeah it's it's uh not fun for anyone involved, but no, I think I think you do really well under Steven Jarrod at Aston Villa, the way they play as well. Exactly. And, and you know that 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 pressure is not heaped up on his shoulders. It's still there. It's still it's the expectations are there, but it's still quite a friendly environment for him. Yeah, and a funny thing about Aston Villa, their next game is against Everton, who they've just had one of their best players off of, Luca Dean. And Everton no longer have a manager. Oh, what a beautiful segue into the downward spiral that is Everton FC. Well, you just said it. Luca Dean was uh, sold to Aston Villa. And the reason being, he did not get along with said manager, Rafa Benitez. Not three days later. Not three days later, Rafa Benitez is sacked. How stupid do you think the Everton board are feeling right now? Well, that's the thing. This isn't uh, a, this wasn't a decision made by a footballing power uh, because currently Everton have no manager, no director of football, no analyst, no physio, no sports scientist. So training at Everton at the moment is akin to free play at primary school. Obviously, they've got coaches say, they got, there, they... but, but there's, no, there's no hierarchy there. And he wasn't wanted in the first place. Rafa, it, it was kind of like, the, it, was, it was kind of like Newcastle's thing right now is, you know, we'll get the next best thing that wants to join. Yeah, it's, it's that case of get me the best manager that was willing to join Everton because they were sort of sort of massively fucked by Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah, because Ancelotti was like, yeah, I've got some plans. I'll show you the plans. He did show the plans and started going through with them. 
But then about, you know, a year afterwards, he was like, by the way, I'm going back to Real Madrid. See ya. And basically just leaves this. It's as if someone was like, yeah, I'm going to build you a house. And then builds basically the, uh, the foundation for it and starts building up a few walls and then says, deuces, I'm going. Go get yourself another construction planner. And the new construction planner is sitting there and has this foundation that's been built, but not much else, and has to decide, do I completely rip it up or do I try and build something off of it, but it's not my foundation to go with? And in the end, it's a crumbling house. And the construction manager has been fired. The construction manager has been fired again. So it's it's so stupid. And he put that statement out afterwards. You know, six months into a three-year deal. This is another prime reason that managers' contracts should be season rolling. I know it's not yeah. like you know, there's no job security for a manager in it, but they get paid enough for them to be out of the job for a couple of months if it goes badly. Because, you know, you think about how much he's on. And he was half, you know, there's two and a half years left on that deal that Everton have to pay him for. Yeah. Ancelotti's never, never going to be on, you know, just a million a year, is he? No. So it's ridiculous. And obviously a loss to Norwich is uh, fun for nobody. <laughs> but uh, I want to run some names past you to, uh, that have been touted to take over. Oh, boy. Uh, Roberto Martinez, that's been blocked by the Belgian FA, but that wouldn't work for anyone because he wasn't very good there in the first place when he was there to replace David Moyes. Yeah. Frank Lampard. Well, he's proven that he is not a manager who is quite fit. Well, we say he's not, he's definitely not fit for the top six. Would he be fit for the, for a mid table club like Everton? But, well, he got, he got the, the, the Chelsea side that won the Champions League, he got them to eighth place. Well, and Wayne Rooney is the other one who is working. Nothing short of miracles at Derby, you know, considering the 21 points deduction, no money, no nothing. Yeah, yeah. But it's not, it's not a, an appointment that fits where Everton want to be. No, Everton want to be, they, they definitely want to, I think their main priority is, aside from what they want, you know, Premier League table-wise. Their main thing is that they don't want to get slaughtered in every Merseyside derby, and they want to be a team where they know they're going to still be the underdog going into that. But it's not a fact of, you know, oh, it's a Merseyside derby. Yeah, it's a Merseyside derby, but if we're being honest, Liverpool walk all all over them. Which, in the current state, if Everton play Liverpool, everyone is expecting a Liverpool win. There's not a thing of... Oh, yeah, it's a derby, though. No, no. Everton are just that bad. And I think that's their main goal right now is to get somewhere where they can definitely not go into every single derby and think they're just going to get killed anyway. And they can actually start challenging for Europe. And if we're being honest, they're light years away from both goals. 
you know, they've they've got uh, plans for a new stadium that it's just going to be subjected to mid-table mediocrity again. And if they yeah. appoint Frank Lampard, then they're basically being stuck with a cockney Eddie Howe. And that's being mean <laughs> to Eddie Howe. You know, Steven Gerrard is, he was great at Rangers. He's now going to prove himself in the Premier League with Aston Villa before, you know, every Liverpool fan's wet dream taking over when Klopp leaves. Oh, Whereas boy. Frank Lampard is so beyond average. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer beating 4 0. And that was with a United team without Ronaldo. Yeah. So, you know, Dan James scored against Frank Lampard's Chelsea. Just let that sink in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... The thing is, as well, I, for, for a split second, I was like, oh, you know, would have been so perfect if Everton had tried to get Stevie G. But then I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Stevie G is going to slit his wrists rather than go and join that club. Well, that's the downfall of Everton. Shall we finish with the FIFA Best Awards? Why not? Because at least, as Greg said, FIFA got into gear and gave the award to the deserving winner. The fact that it even had to, there had to be some debate, and it was still close as well. There were four points separating Lewandowski and Messi. And, you know, the, the only reason Lewandowski won is because the, the best awards are not chosen by some dimwit in, in, some, who, in some van who basically is turned on the TV once a year and just seen a highlight reel of Messi. But it's, it's voted for by the club captains, national team captains, managers, you know, by actual experts, not just the reporters who only report on Messi and basically are like, oh, Messi, 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 Messi. Yeah, he's had a bad season, but so Messi, 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 Messi. It's just the bias isn't there as much. Given the best awards still take into account fan voting, albeit at a smaller percentage, but that fan voting had Messi at 700,000 votes and Lewandowski at 350,000, just to give you a clear picture as to how uh, biased and just how little people actually take a look at what Lewandowski does at Bayern. Messi, just to put this into perspective, Messi has one league on goal. This is the shittiest of the top five leagues. That should be Messi's dream line. He should be taking apart this league. And he scored one goal. The fact that he's even in for any type of individual award is beyond, it's beyond all reason. There, he should be nowhere near any of these awards, any of them. Ronaldo has done more at Man United than Messi has at PSG. And Ronaldo has not done his best work by that standard. Or he hasn't scored the amount of goals that he has has done at Juventus or Real Madrid. I'm sorry, but Messi is light years away from that Messi that we saw take apart Europe between 2010 and 2017, 18, maybe even 19. Uh, Absolutely baffling as to how anyone can put him in. Oh, and to add insult to injury, the contenders themselves had to put a voting and Lewandowski's top three were Jorginho at one, Messi at two, Ronaldo at three. And Messi put Neymar, Mbappe, and Benzema. So if we're going to take that, you know, 
as it stands, then Messi's big speech really was just a big bunch of bullshit because, you know, he's gone on and said, you know, oh, you know, you're, you're just as deserving of this award as I am. And, you know, you should have gotten the 2020 Ballon d'Or. I hope they award it to you and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. If you mean that, then you would have also put Lewandowski on your list, at least at two or three. You didn't have to put him at one, but yeah. Shows you how much Messi thinks of his competition. So, yeah. So Lewandowski won the men's award, the Barcelona player. Alexis. I do know her name. Patelius or something. Oh uh, no, it's like Alexa Patelas. Yes. Or Patella or, or something. Patelas uh, won the women's award. I know Barcelona Femi are ripping it up, aren't they? They've scored like a ridiculous amount of goals this season already. Oh yeah. Uh Thomas Tuchel winning coach of the year or men's coach of the year. Fair enough. Fair enough. Me. Yeah. Uh Emma Hayes, the Chelsea. Uh basically it was a, a Chelsea sweep ready for coaches because She's fantastic for Chelsea women's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Pushka, Eric Lamella got the Pushkas award for that Rabona against the Arsenal, which I think is better than a long shot, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, the only one I've got a little bit of issue with is the best 11. Because how can Edouard Mendy win goalkeeper of the year? And not being the best. And Juan Luigi Donnarumma be in the best 11 in the goalkeeper spot. Well, we had this last year, didn't we? Manuel Neuer got the uh, goalkeeper of the year award last season or that last time around. And what, and Allison got into the best 11. That makes no sense either. And I mean, I'm sorry, but this is again, even with the best awards, I still take issue with how the, how the players are judged because with the players, their entire careers are also taken into account, not just the season they've played. So by that sense, yeah, of course, Messi's going to get some points. But that's not the point of this award. This award is supposed to highlight the individual play of the past year and not of his whole season, which was the issue with the Ballon d'Or as well. Everyone's thinking of, you know, the Messi that was and not the Messi that is. And so I don't know. I don't know what the whole thing is, because if you take a look at, you know, Donnarumma's career, it's like, oh, wow, he was debuting at 16 and he just won Italy, the uh, the the Euros and stuff. But, you know, if you think about it, half his year, 2021, was spent on the bench at PSG. How can you possibly give the goalkeeper of the year award to someone who spends half the season on the bench? I mean, the Ballon d'Or awards, it was already this that was already the whole deal which is why I don't understand these awards. The awards have zero merit at some point. You know, if everyone sees that, oh, okay, you can literally spend half a season on the bench or you can play, you can score one league goal in half in a whole, in half a year and you can still win the award, then everyone's just like, well, okay. At the end of the day, it's not about the best player. It's just about the most marketable player or the most popular player. Then call it that, but don't call it, you know, something that's based on, uh, based on what they've achieved. The the other issue I take with it is if you want if you're that bothered about individual awards, don't play a team sport because 
yeah, Lewandowski scored a fantastic amount of goals for Bayern when they won all six. But he didn't score the winning goal in the Champions League. That was Kingsley yeah. Coman. You know, there's there's more than just Lewandowski at Bayern. You know, Manuel Neuer kept them in, in games and... In the final as well. <laughs> you know, to- Thomas Muller provides a fantastic amount of assists. Leroy Sane this year. And, you know, United didn't win anything. But Bruno Fernandes has the most goals, most assists, most chances created out of any midfielder in 2021. And he's not even talked about, yeah. And was nowhere, he was 21st in the Ballon d'Or rankings and was was nowhere near the FIFA Pro best 11. You know, this isn't, oh, I, I support United, so City are nothing, but why is De Bruyne in there? When he spent a large portion of 2021 out injured. Yeah, well, Mourinho, I mean... I can understand... So, well, yeah, begrudgingly, I can understand Jorginho. Even though yeah, but Jorginho is also the point. Yeah, but Jorginho is my, my point is that he's not even the best midfielder at Chelsea, let alone the best midfielder in the world or the best player in the world. N'Golo Kante is better than Jorginho by far. There's no two ways about it. It's N'Golo Kante I would 100% rather have in my midfield than Jorginho. I don't understand what the only reason is because Jorginho managed to win the Champions League and the Euros in one season. And as you said, that's not down to him being an individual, amazing center midfielder, taking nothing away from how good he actually is, because there's no doubt that he's an excellent midfielder. But the major reason why he's winning these titles is because not because he bedazzled everyone in midfield by you know plugging holes or taking the ball off people or spreading passes unbelievably all throughout the park and scoring a bunch of goals is because the team as a whole functioned he was obviously part of that team and did his bit and was probably one of the bigger elements of the team but he alone did not drag chelsea by the scruff of the neck into the champions league final and then put them there and golo kante won the man of the match award in both semi-final legs as well as the final so it's just the the awards make no sense to me anymore and that's why you know we i know we said yeah well the fifa uh, the fifa best awards kind of eclipse the ballon d'or because they're at least a bit fairer i still don't know if the fifa best awards are that much of a better indicator of individual achievements than the ballon d'or ones i think the whole thing just it's it's the edward mendy thing isn't it you know angolo kante won midfielder of the year at the Ballon d'Or yet wasn't in the top three for you know he he won an award over Jorginho for midfielder of the year Jorginho was in the top three yeah and yet Jorginho was in the top three for the Ballon d'Or I'm I'm not getting into it again because it will just raise my blood (laughs) pressure and give me heartburn yeah we don't want that I think that's about everything this week yeah a little bit of a meteor episode than than normal, but uh, we had fun doing it. And if you want to listen to other stuff, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are always posting daily updates as well as on the weekends updates of, your, of the scores and the games in the Premier League and the Bundesliga. And also make sure to head over to the 50 plus one football podcast on Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, and Spotify for previous episodes 
I find most people always get a kick out of our previous stuff. And if you really want to get a kicker, listen to our first one, because, you know, that was when we were still beyond mediocrity. Now we've, now we've gotten to mediocre. I'd, I'd say uh, we've come a long way. Oh yeah. <laughs> but thank you very much for listening guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.